fellowship going on this morning. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to our church. If you've been here as a member for a long time or if you're new for the first time, we're glad that you're here with us. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 5. It's in the New Testament towards the end, one of the last few books of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles provided for you underneath the chair in front of you. And there you could turn to page 1013. I'm going to invite Elijah Trotta. He's one of our youth students, um, and he's going to actually read the passage for us this morning. But as we do, we are finishing up, James. Uh, As we started back in January, uh, we're concluding this sermon series today. And next week, I can't believe it already, but next week is the first, uh, first Sunday of Holy Week. As we enter into Palm Sunday, as Jesus made his way in that journey towards Jerusalem on that Sunday, he enters and we'll see the kids next Sunday wave the palm branches and we'll sing Hosanna and we'll actually dive into Matthew chapter 21 looking at Palm Sunday as Jesus rode in on a donkey and the significance of him entering into the city of Jerusalem. But today we're going to finish and so I'm going to ask us to pay attention and give attention to God's word as you read and listen from verses 13 through 20. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Elijah. Pray with me. Lord, we come before you this morning, and we ask that as we hear from you through your word, that you would change us and transform us, even as we've looked at this entire letter from James. uh, To live in a broken and fractured world is hard, and it can be exhausting. But pray that you would continue to give us the wisdom from above so that we might be people who would bring wholeness and healing to a world that needs it, including our own hearts. So do that good work we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. During COVID, you know, this is two, three years ago, uh, there was a thing called COVID that happened, right? It's like we just don't, we, it's like completely gone now in some ways as we live life again. But one of the interesting things during COVID and maybe one of the coolest things that happened for me was that Five Guys and I began a whiskey society that started with just us six guys. And over the last two, three years, it's grown to over 150 members. Now, one of the things that we had to decide and we argued about was how much do we charge for a membership fee? And everyone except for me wanted to charge this really low nominal fee But I was the only one trying to fight for a more expensive fee that they would pay. And the reason wasn't because I just was greedy and wanted more money. But it was because charging a more higher or higher membership fee communicated value. It communicated a sense in which if I'm going to pay this much, I'm going to be involved as a member of this society. Now you're wondering, what in the world does this, how does this connect to this passage about prayer? Well, it does in the sense in which Paige Brown over in Nashville reminded me in her study when she said this, our membership in the church is costlier than any other membership you have anywhere else. Now think about that. We have some expensive membership fees, don't we? Whether it's a country club, gym membership, Maybe you're at Lifetime Tennis or Racquet Club. It could be Season Pass to your favorite sports team. 
We have a family Y membership since last fall and have yet to break a sweat in that building. <laughs> and I'm paying over $200 a month as a family. I mean, we have expensive membership fees. And yet, what we see in Scripture, we're reminded that our membership in the church is costlier than any other membership that we have. Why? Well, Paul reminds us in Acts when he said that we are called to shepherd the church when he talks to the elders. Why? Because the church has been purchased by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is what makes this membership more costly than anything else in this world. That God himself would die so that we could be a part of this church. Now, I said this over the last few years and you've heard it from the pulpit and we've even had second Saturdays about deconstruction. But the church has blown it in a lot of ways, right? We've seen it through media and news outlets of the ways that the church has, uh, churches have abused their power. They've done some horrendous things. They've been unrepentant. And maybe you're in that boat where you have experienced the pain and the hurt of being a part of a church and its leadership. And I think that's why this letter has been so important for us because living in a fractured world also means living in a fractured church where there is sin and brokenness and hardship. And that's why I think this letter is so needed because when we come to the end of this letter, what James wants to remind us is that if we long to bring wholeness and healing in a fractured world, including the church, do you know where that begins? It begins in this family. This family. Not across time and space of the big C church, but as James reminds us, it begins here if we want to bring wholeness and healing in a fractured world. The family of God matters the most. 20 times in this letter, as we've gone through it, James mentions brothers, sisters. As we come, even in chapter 2, he reminded us, as you come into the assembly, what is that, the local church, as you come in and gather together, don't show partiality. In this passage this morning, we hear how we're called to call the elders of the church. And in this passage, we hear and we've heard repeated, one another, anyone among you wanders away. James is reminding us that here in this local body, the family of God, this is where it begins if we long to see wholeness and healing in a fractured world. Now, what does he want us, what does he highlight for us this morning? And what is important for us to look at as the family of God? And if the family truly matters, he wants to remind us that we need to be a praying family. And secondly, we need to be a pursuing family. First, let's look at a praying family. And we'll probably spend most of our time here. But it's interesting. He says that we are called to pray in all situations. And he gives us four situations in which we are called to be always consistently praying. First, it's suffering. Second, cheerful in verse 13. Sickness in 14. And sin in verse 15 and 16. Now let's look at the first one, suffering. Verse 13. Now I think 
this word suffering is probably too narrow or specific. A better translation would be troubled. Are any of you troubled? So this could include everything from what Jason talked about last week in his sermon. It includes suffering, but it can also be our needs, disappointments, shame, frustrations, confusion, doubts, our questions, our fears, our grief. If any of you are experiencing these troubles in your life, pray. Pray for one another. Ask for prayer. One commentator said he could imagine if James were to ask this in the letter or say this in a congregation, everyone would raise their hand and say yes. We all experience trouble. And we're called here to pray. But not only in times of trouble, but also those who are cheerful, in good spirits. When you are good in heart, what are we called to do in verse 13? Sing praise. And what is singing praise? You are declaring to God in song, but also in prayer, like through the Psalms that we read in Scripture, in the Old Testament. We're called to pray, even in good times as well. And as I thought about these two juxtaposed to one another, in trouble and when you're cheerful, when do we find ourselves praying more often? It's in times of trouble, right? It's when we're going through difficulty. When we're going through times of trouble or suffering or shame or frustration or grief, that's when we pray. When do we pray when we're cheerful? Hardly not. When do we give thanks to the Lord when we've experienced things that are good and have gone well? I think here what we realize is that all too often when our prayers are focused on the suffering or the trouble, it reminds us that we are focused much more on the gifts and not the giver. Jesus or God, when we pray, becomes what? Just a great, glorified, personal assistant that we need help in times of trouble. But it's when we are a people who pray together, both in trouble and in cheerful times, this is when we actually see our God as our Father, our Father in heaven. I think about my kids, and you do not know how many texts and phone calls you get from your kids. And it's constant. I got an A. I forgot my shoes. I forgot my bag. I need a ride. I scored. I got first place. The dog went poop. This person got in a fight. This person is mad. I'm sad. It's about everything that they have on their minds. Why? Because I'm their father. I'm their dad. We see our heavenly father in this family as our father who we can come to for everything. This leads us here to the third thing James reminds us to be praying for one another, and it's in sickness in verse 14. Verse 14, what does James write? He says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in, this, in the name of the Lord. Now, what does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean that you just avoid doctors and you just pray and God will heal you. It doesn't mean that this oil had medicinal powers, that it would actually save you or heal you. 
What's going on here is that James is reminding us again that we are the family of God. And as elders are called to be the shepherd of your souls, we call our family members, those people in our lives, so that they would pray over us when we are sick. And what's this oil thing? Well, I brought my vial here. And I've done this for us in our church as well. For those who have gone through real sickness in their life. People have called us elders to come and as we pray for them, I'll take this sesame oil. No, it's not sesame oil. (laughs) I've always joked that I as a Korean pastor should have sesame oil instead of olive oil. But with olive oil, trust me, it's olive oil. I'll, I'll take that, I'll dab it, and I'll put that across the forehead. And we'll pray for them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what this does, and there's so many debates, and this is one of the most confusing passages of all of Scripture. But as we think about oil, what this does, I think, as I've studied this, is that this is almost, not almost, it's like a sacrament. In that it's a visible, tangible reminder and picture of God's nearness, of His presence to those who are experiencing real sickness and pain. In the Old Testament, we saw oil being used to consecrate, to set apart those that God has called. Well, I think in another way, this sets apart those who are sick, and it's a way to bless those who are experiencing real pain and suffering. And that oil reminds them as they smell it, as they feel it on their forehead, and as the people of God pray, the elders specifically, and others as you ask to pray for you, you're reminded of God's nearness and His presence to you. Not that He'll always heal you, right? but that we are reminded that God draws near and He empathizes and sympathizes in our weaknesses and that we have a God that we can go to to pray. But also we see lastly here one of sin. Now it's weird, it's interesting that James like blends these things together. They're almost blurred in the sense of, well, if you're sick, call the elders to pray. If you're experiencing sin in your life, share those with one another and pray that you might be, what, healed, he says. It's odd. He, he says, in sickness that you might be saved and in your sin that you might be healed. When's the last time you have prayed for one another or asked for prayers in your sin? When you get together in small groups, in your community groups, when you come together for our Bible studies, when you have friends here in this church, as you walk along one another, isn't it all too often we pray for our physical illnesses and the body more than our soul? Now we are embodied creatures, but when's the last time as we reflected through this entire sermon series, when's the last time you asked someone to pray about your anger? When's the last time you confess that you were quick to speak, that you show partiality and you have implicit biases, that you've been presumptuous about your time and how we are greedy with our money, that we, are lack, we lack patience and we do not suffer well, as we were reminded last week, that we don't share about how we actually use our words with our coworkers or your boyfriend or girlfriend or your classmate or your teammate. But it's easy in our casual relationships in the family of God to just say, oh, pray for me, this person's sick or that. No, I want prayer when I'm sick. Don't get me wrong. 
But here James is reminding us in all circumstances, in all situations, we are called to pray for one another. One of my favorite books that I read every year is this book by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And he, in his book, Life Together, he reminded me, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. So when the Christian community, when the call to brotherly or sisterly confession and forgiveness goes forth, it is a call to the great grace of God in the church. Why is it easier to confess our sin to God rather than a brother or sister? Maybe, and this is so insightful, maybe we have been deceiving ourselves by confessing our sin to ourselves and granting ourselves absolution. Maybe that's why we have countless relapses and feebleness. Our brother or sister breaks the circle of self-deception. We need to confess our sins to one another and ask for prayer. This is what James reminds us, that as we are a family of God, we are called to be a praying family. But the last thing we see here, or the second thing we see here is we're called to be a pursuing family. Now, this isn't just some random person who wanders away. But the person that James has in mind as we think about the family of God, the church, the local church, is that this is a follower of Jesus who has been baptized in the family of God, who's a member of a local church that wanders off. And what James says is we're called here to bring that person back in order to save their souls from death. In other words, to rescue and to restore them back into the family of God. And it could be so, for so many different reasons, right? James is focused here on those that might be, maybe have experienced some ethical or moral sin in their lives and they've wandered away. Maybe it's something that's more theological or doctrinal. But as I think about our current circumstance, right, it could be COVID. And what happened through that period of time, and it could be deconstruction and the, 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 the sense in which you do not know where you stand with the church anymore. It could be so many different reasons. But what we see here is that James calls us to be a pursuing family that calls and brings that back that brother or sister who is far off. I, 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 John and I did not talk about this. But what John said as we thought about certain families or individuals in our church, we have not seen in a long time. We're called to reach out, to lend a hand, to give them a text or a call, to meet them for a meal or a drink. Even in the midst of the awkwardness. Because why? Because they matter. And what's so important to remember, it's not just that person over there. That's me too. We're going to sing Come Thou Font, and one of my favorite parts of that hymn it's a part where it says, I'm prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Each of us has the capacity to wander away. How much more we are called then to pursue out of love to bring those people back into the family of God. There's a story I heard this week um, and I wanted to share that with you, but maybe some of you are familiar with the name Gilda Radner. She was the part of the original cast of SNL. And she died at a very young age, at the age of 42, because she had ovarian cancer, went into remission, and it came back. And she started losing a lot of weight, wasn't looking good. 
But she had a friend from the cast, Lorraine Newman, who wanted to put a big birthday party together in her home in New York. And this, I promise you, would probably be the most epic birthday party ever in someone's home at one time. Why? Because it was the original cast of SNL that was all in her home and the cast of Monty Python together in one home in New York. Can you imagine? Probably the greatest, I mean, they, would, they didn't have the word FOMO back then, but I'm sure there was a lot of FOMO if you weren't in that house that night. But Gilda Radner was invited and she came. And Bill Murray, who's also part of that cast, shared and reflected on that night. And this is what he shared. We hadn't seen Gilda in a long time. And she started doing, I've got to go. And she was just going to leave. And I was like, going to leave? It felt like she was going to really leave forever. So we started carrying her around in a way that we could only do with her. We carried her up and down the stairs, around the house repeatedly for a long time until I was exhausted. Then Dan Aykroyd did it for a while. Then I did it again. And we just kept carrying her. We did it in teams. We kept carrying her around, but like upside down, every which way, over your shoulder and under your arms, carrying her like luggage. And that went on for more than an hour, maybe an hour and a half, just carrying her around and saying, she's leaving. This could be it. Now, come on, this could be the last time we see her. Gilda's leaving, and remember that she was very sick. Hello? We worked all aspects of it, but it started with just, she's leaving. I don't know if you've said goodbye to her. And we said goodbye to the same people 10, 20 times, you know. And because these people were really funny, every person we dragged her up to would do just like five minutes on her with Gilda upside down in this sort of tortured position, which she absolutely loved. She was laughing so hard we could have lost her right then and there. It was just one of the best parties I've ever been to in my life, and I'll always remember it. And guess what? Sure enough, that was the last time any of them saw her before she passed. Now, can you imagine that night? These comedians in their awkward, funny way saying, I, you're dying, I know you're going to die, but I'm going to give you this over-the-top goodbye. And what were they doing? What were they saying to Gilda? You matter. You matter. Don't you want a community that tells you that you matter? We all want to be in a place where you matter and are pursued and loved. So when we don't pursue those that have wandered off, what we're in essence saying is that they don't matter. And what matters is my priorities, my time, my work, my family, my relationships. And I don't have the time to pursue those that are part of my family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, how do we be that kind of family? How do we be a praying family? How do we be a pursuing family? Well, we have to look to Jesus. We have to look to Jesus. As we saying earlier, we love, why? Because Jesus first loved us. Because Jesus first prayed and interceded for us because Jesus first pursued us with an unconditional love. Do you know right now, Jesus prays 
and talks about us to his father 24 7 he is constantly telling his father about us and praying on our behalf every moment of every day we are not forgotten he intercedes for us and prays for us when we sin when we mess up when we screw up he tells his father we are forgiven we are loved we are delighted and we are lifted up we are adored and liked and enjoyed and embraced because of jesus's righteousness and he tells his father that every day not because of anything of our own righteousness but because of jesus righteousness we are righteous we are made right and he does this for us constantly do you know he also pursues us always he pursued you that is why you have faith this morning and that is why you love your father but he also pursues us now when we stumble and when we fall he pursues us until eternity and holds on to us and will never let us go because we belong to the family of God. Like the 99 sheep that he would leave behind and pursue that one, that's what he does for us always. And he will continue to do it for you. He loves us. Because he loves us, we now have all the resources to pray for one another and to pursue each other. What a great reminder as we finish this letter from James. Living in a fractured world is hard. It's confusing and just outright exhausting living in this fractured and broken world. And as we engage and love, or love those around us and live out the calling to bring wholeness and healing to this world and in our communities, guess what? We have this family. This family, not just all the churches, or those who follow Jesus, but this family. We have this family to come back to. We have this family to be loved and to love. We have this family to be reminded that there is no greater hope or joy than to be in this family of God because this family, the membership to be a part of this family is the costliest, not because of anything we have to pay or dues that have to be paid. Because Jesus has paid it all with his own blood. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we give you thanks because of the blood that was shed for us. That we get to call you our elder brother. We get to call God our Father. And we get to call these brothers and sisters around us who might think completely different than us, might look different than us, have nothing in common other than the blood that was shed and we get to say brother and sister. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to be that kind of family, a praying family, a pursuing family, so that through these means, we might be able to bring wholeness and healing through the blood of Jesus. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.